Welcome to today's podcast brought to you by Market Scale. I'm Sean Heath, and today I have the honor of having a conversation with Keith Johnson, the founder and principal for Brilliant Ecom. Keith, how are you doing today? Great, Sean. Thanks for having me. Now, you know, I'm looking, I want to start off, I'm looking at the name, and in my notes, Brilliant Ecom has an exclamation point after it. That's correct. You know, what I... What I love I that. Really wanted to bring to life the fact that there's so much energy and there's a need for action by companies that it's, it's in the name, um, you need to make it happen now. You know, I always have thought that the exclamation point is sort of an underappreciated uh, piece of punctuation because it a period is, okay, here's the end of this thing that I just said. This is the end of that thing. But an exclamation point, that's really smart that you chose that because it indicates, hey, guess what? Here's a thing and it has an energy and there's more than just what came before there's more after so that's really that's really a, a a pretty unique way to approach that um speaking of something that came before and is not finished and is exciting let's talk about you give me the the sort of little elevator pitch on how your journey sort of brought you to me getting to have an, a conversation with you today okay um i'll try to keep it short um you know, I, I worked for a traditional company, um, Procter & Gamble, for 18 years, both on the technical side and on the commercial side. And um, I was a shopper marketer for part of it. Um, and I started to get into e-commerce. I, I owned the um, P&G's professional division and really started to work with um, e-commerce um, some smaller companies, but also some bigger ones like Staples and Amazon Supply and Stamps.com and really saw the need to take what um, was happening traditionally in store and apply principles to online. Um, after that, I decided to actually start my own company, my own direct e-commerce company, which was Pepperosia.com. And we were a customized pet food company. And through that experience, I really learned the intricacies of e-commerce, especially direct. And it was so much different than traditional marketing and what consumer product companies and other companies had been used to. So um, I, I really saw the opportunity to teach others, especially mid and large size companies, about the shift that they had to make in order to be successful online. Well, you that to go from such a massive company as Procter and Gamble to then basically, I'm going to say, you know, start selling dog food out of your garage. I know that's not completely accurate, but that's really the the shift in scale that you you made. You have a really unique viewpoint on just how powerful the concept of e-commerce can be because you lived it. Most definitely. So let's talk about, let's talk about, well, give me your opinion on what you think e-commerce is doing to the concept of, uh, I don't know, retail or shopping or consumerism. Tell me what you think about that. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, 
You know, I, I saw this um, in, in 2000 and, geez, 2010, 2011. I, I assumed that the next um, dot-com, call it tidal wave, was going to be e-commerce. And it was going to be a tidal wave that you can't, no one was going to be able to avoid. Um, hence, we're there today, where we've had um, this last holiday season, Black Friday had more sales online than in-store, which is crazy. Um, so what's happening is that e-commerce as a channel has become commonplace over the last five years. It is no longer a fringe channel. And the aha is that um, manufacturers and brands and retailers are not prepared for it for the most part. Of course, Amazon's prepared. It is their business and, and they are flourishing and others are. But the traditional brick and mortar companies who are now brick and click companies are, have not been prepared. Um, and, and that's why you're seeing these closings and these um, and, and bankruptcies of traditional companies because they were caught off guard. Now, you use an interesting phrase, brick and click. I have to say, I've never heard that phrase before, but I really, it's very elegant. I like that. Do you feel that these companies that, I mean, they may be second or third generation family-based companies, right? But like you said, they weren't prepared for this sort of tidal wave. Is there a, a realistic expectation that some of those companies can maybe repurpose or refocus or reorganize themselves and then relaunch themselves with an e-commerce um, profile to a, some degree of success? That's a good question. Um, before I answer that, let me make a point of clarification. It's not just the small and mid-sized companies, the family-owned companies that have been caught off guard. It is the big companies, the big corporations that have been caught off guard. And they're the ones that are suffering the most because it is it takes a monumental um, amount of strength to shift those bigger companies. Now, going to your question, I do believe the smaller and mid-sized companies can shift to make sure that they can flourish in e-commerce. And frankly, they can do it faster than the big companies can. Just because it's easier, they're a little more flexible. For sure. So, but that okay. Said, but Let that said, they do need to have the right level of understanding of what to do. Many of those companies don't have the background in e-commerce, and so they know they have to do it, but they just don't know what to do. It sounds like a problem that that can't be resolved just by throwing a bunch of money at it. It sounds like it's a fundamental philosophical approach that you have to change as well, right? Exactly. Um, and that's part of what, what I do with Brilliant Ecom. Um, before we do any type of activity or action, we go in and we get a good understanding of the company, the landscape, the retail landscape, the competitive landscape, and we figure out exactly what's holding them back, where are they having and then we set a strategy for them to be able to win in e-commerce. And once they have internal alignment and we figure out what's required to hit that strategy, then you move to action. Do you find that 
in in learning about these companies because obviously you can't help a company if you don't know anything about them. So as you as you research the challenges that your your client is facing, do you see a a pattern that sort of exists in a broad spectrum that may not necessarily be tied to one specific industry? Do you see some trends in these companies that is a commonality that they're all struggle with a B and C. Those are things they all struggle with that you're able to sort of focus on and help um, alter their thinking. Definitely. Um, in fact, that's how I, st- I got into brilliant Ecom when I started to see some of the same things across companies in different industries. Um, let me give you two examples of that. The first one is around content and how their products are showing online. Many um, brands or manufacturers are on e-commerce. They are selling their products online, but they feel that by listing their product, they're checking the box. And what they're not doing is understanding how to sell a product online, how to apply that compelling um benefit and reason to believe to a consumer, to a purchaser, so that they really want to buy that product right then and there. You know, they're not applying the same type of thinking that goes into traditional advertising like TV or print or radio um, to how their product is shown online. So sometimes you get just like bullet points of specifications for a product, whereas the products that are doing it right sell you, they, they make it come to life. You're emotionally brought in and you want to purchase the product. That's one area. A second key area where um, 95% of brands are struggling is with the pricing dynamics that are going on. And it's, um, and a lot of it is, is caused by product diversion and, um, through Amazon. And they have their product listed. If uh, a seller comes online, undercuts their pricing strategy, others, including Amazon, will follow. And at the end of the day, the pressure is put back on the brand because their margins are being whittled away. And the bigger folks like Amazon are, are asking them to, to fix that. And then the brick and mortar retailers are looking and seeing those prices online and coming back to the brand and complaining. So just we, to summarize, we so talk the two key areas um, have to do with the content and with pricing strategy. You know, when, when we talk about Amazon and, and really, I don't think anybody would argue with the statement that Amazon has changed the way people buy things, just fundamentally changed that, that whole transaction and but there is there's a positive that can be drawn from that for all companies that aren't amazon and that is the ability specifically manufacturers is what i'm thinking about and you have experience with this from your own company that you started manufacturers now have an ability through e-commerce to sell directly to me. I don't necessarily have to go even to Amazon to buy a new dog collar. I can actually buy it through an e-commerce 
site from the manufacturer. That changes a fundamental part of, of commerce as a rule, doesn't it? You are absolutely correct. The barriers to entry have been lowered and it allows um, small brands, starting brands to be able to play the game. Whereas in the past, they would have to um, get through the door of the retailers. Those doors were pretty much held open by the big brands, the big manufacturers, and it was so tough. Um, now that is not the case. You can get online and you can start to sell. Of course, you still have to figure out how to build brand awareness recognition, um, but it can be done in a way that's different than the past. I see that as that whole evolution seems to be not just an e-commerce specific move. Uh, you mentioned content and the ability for smaller manufacturers and now to, to create and to distribute items. And it makes me, th I see a similarity with YouTube uh, or a musician being able to put a song on iTunes. Uh, you can record a song in your garage. You can have it on iTunes this afternoon. You don't have to get a record deal now. You don't have to have a TV production deal now. You don't have to have a an agreement with a vendor to put your products out there. That seems to be a huge social um, change in thinking. As as we see these trends sort of blending, and as a thought leader in the industry, what do you see coming in, say, the next one, three, five years? What do you see as being things that have really made you kind of sit up and go, oh, okay, that's interesting? Yeah, let me, let me um, talk a little bit about what you're saying and then answer the question. First of all, you are absolutely correct, but this has been happening over time, over a hundred years. And what's going to happen is there's a natural tendency for invention to make things easier. So right now we're in the internet age and it's accelerated, but you will always have things becoming easier and barriers being removed. In this case, barriers to selling a product, barriers to getting your music heard or barriers to being known is a celebrity. Those things are being made easier um, through technology. And frankly, it'll be even easier 10 years from now. Um, is, is there's costs or barriers in the system? The system will naturally figure out ways to cut those out. So what does that mean for e-commerce and for the next 10 years? Well, there's still the opportunity to get individuals the products that they want exactly how they like it and faster and at a lower cost. And so that pressure will continue to evolve the e-commerce channel. Distribution channel, the distribution methodologies will continually evolve till you can practically get a product in your house 10 minutes after ordering it. Amazon's really pushing that envelope there. The cost of that distribution will continue to go down, which will make the prices um, more palatable. You'll start to see customization more and more. You see, you see this with some of the um, shoe brands like Nike and, and, and Timberland, um, but that'll, that'll transfer to other product areas.
things where you'll be able to get things manufactured exactly the way you like it and they'll be able to come at shorter the time period that it would have taken in the past for one size fits all product. So as we see these companies start to embrace this speed, this uh, in innovation of turning around a product, and you mentioned customization with Nike and Timbaland, do you think that this is this speed that we're seeing the evolution of e-commerce, do you think that that speed is going to force companies to alter um, a product's uh, ramp up? Are they going to have to really take into account the things that they're able to parse from data that they gather from the e-commerce sites on what's being bought and how many and who looked at this and who did, are they going to be able to pull that data be flexible enough to apply that data to a new product and create a customization or a better a build a better mousetrap is the the only way I can really think of it. But it instead of building the mousetrap they say is better, they'll be able to build the mousetrap that the public has said, hey, this is the mousetrap we want. Is that where we're going? For sure. I mean, the data that's available now is amazing compared to 10, 15 years ago. Uh, you can track how a consumer came to your brand through every piece of marketing. You can understand specifically what elements of the marketing caused them to purchase, what was important. You can track their feedback. You can apply that feedback in product upgrades almost instantaneously. And that's important. The, and, the, and the brands and manufacturers that figure out how to take advantage of that across all the different elements of their, of their business are the ones that are going to win. The, said it another way, the, those that are, are stuck in their traditional ways, whether it be distribution models or manufacturing or how they figure out their product innovation is going to be on, on a yearly basis, the ones that are forced to their traditional methods are going to have problems. Okay, so I have to ask this question. I have to make a callback to your dog food company. At any point, did you actually have bags of dog food stacked up in your garage? <laughs> Definitely not. Oh, okay. Well, I, you know, I, I just, I, in my mind, you did. In my mind, you were like Bill Gates. You're like Bill Gates. You're working out of your garage. And you're like, okay, we got to deliver these 50 bags of dog food. Throw them in the truck. Let's go. Um, I have to say that. There, there are FDA regulations about with, oh. with, with pet food. Like there are with treats. So, of course, I could not do that in my garage. So you weren't baking doggy treats in the in the kitchen and then packaging them up. And that was not what was happening. Nope. Um, I have to say the exclamation point after brilliant e-com is extremely appropriate. And you definitely sound like a man who has his running shoes on in order to keep up with what's happening. And I want to thank you for slowing down enough today to take a few minutes with me. Today, I've been talking to Keith Johnson, the founder and principal for brilliant e-com. Keith, thanks so much for this. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. And I would ask anyone who'd like to uh, learn more about what we do is to visit us online at brilliantecom.com. 
Absolutely. I think they should do that. Thanks again. I hope you have a wonderful day. And you know what? I look forward to having another chance to talk to you again in the future. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.